Well, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be here. I come from the hills of Kentucky. Now look, as soon as I said that, I say to myself, you're going to feel intimidated because you're from Texas. You see, <laughs> I want you to know that I do not think I am a cut above you. I don't think that. I probably am. I just don't think it. <laughs> but I know about you Texans. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jarrett, for having me. I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 45. Uh, but I think what I will do is read it in a, in a couple of minutes. There may be someone here who does not know the story of Joseph, who was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. Jacob was not a good father. He showed favoritism. A parent should never do that. But Jacob did, and he considered Joseph, his favorite son, made him this coat of many colors. Uh, the only thing worse than giving it was wearing it. And Joseph wore it, didn't bother him, strutted around, arrogant teenager. His brothers were so jealous of him. And on top of that, he had this gift of prophetic dreams, why God would give him that, having so much special attention from his dad. But God does that. He blesses those who don't deserve it. And uh, these dreams indicated that one day, the 11 brothers, there were 12 sons of Israel, the 11 were going to bow down to him. The only thing was that Joseph told his dreams to his brothers, which was not a very smart thing to do. They couldn't take it anymore. They decided to kill him. They were going to. In plan B, we won't kill him. We'll sell him to the Ishmaelites who happened to be there. They yanked that coat of many colors off his back, dipped it in blood, took it to their dad, old Jacob, took the bait, and said, a wild beast has devoured my son. I will go to my grave in mourning. The brothers tiptoed away and said, we got away with it. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Now, 22 years later, because of a famine in the land, Jacob sends the sons to Egypt to buy food. To fast forward, 22 years later, Joseph has become prime minister of Egypt. And these sons of Israel have to go to the prime minister to get food, to take back to Canaan. As soon as they show up, Joseph knows that his dream is being fulfilled. He knows who they are. They do not know who he is. He's in Egyptian garb. He now speaks Egyptian through an interpreter. He's officious with them. But the day comes that he is to reveal his identity to his brothers. Joseph always thought that God gave him the dreams so that one day he could look at those brothers and say, gotcha, and throw the book at them. But by the time the dream was to be fulfilled, 
Joseph was a different man. He's a changed man. He's a broken man. Instead of throwing the book at them and saying, gotcha, he begins to cry. He begins to weep. His shoulders shake. And when he can take it no longer, he begins to say this to him. And so now we read in Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could no longer keep his composure before all of his brothers, his attendants, and he called out, send everyone away from me. No one's with, with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my brother, father still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph the one you sold into Egypt, it's me. But don't be afraid. Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to prepare for you to preserve life. For the famine that's been in the land is going to last, I can tell you, another five years. There won't be plowing or harvesting. And God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. May God be pleased to rest, to bless the reading and the preaching and bring him great honor and glory. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as is pleasing to you, that they will see what you once said. Grant that I'll say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. May this be a life-changing word, and I dare ask that not one person here will ever, ever be the same again. And may this word bring you great honor and glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The message that I believe I'm to bring to you today was born in what was the darkest hour that Louise and I had ever been through. What happened was horrible. It was terrible, unfair, unjust. But here I am living in London, and I wondered how could God allow this to happen? 
We'd never been in, in anything like it. The future was bleak. I thought I was finished. I couldn't tell anybody. It was while we were at Westminster Chapel. The 25 years there, the best of times, the worst of times, to paraphrase Charles Dickens. And we went through our darkest hour. An old friend from Romania happened to be in London. His name is Joseph Tone. And because I knew he wouldn't tell anybody, I decided to tell Joseph what they did. Now, if I'm totally honest with you, my motive for telling Joseph, I thought he would put his arm around me and, and say, R.T., you ought to be angry. He wanted me to pour, I, I hoped, pour out my heart, and he could just say, you, you ought to be angry. He said to me, is that everything? I said, yep. I wasn't prepared for what followed. If I could narrow 25 years in London down to 15 minutes, they would turn out to be my finest hour. It's when Joseph Tone looked at me and said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I said, Joseph, I just remembered, I, I haven't really told you everything. Let me tell you uh, uh, this. And he stopped me. He stopped me. R.T. You must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them and you will be released. I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, you can and you must. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Almost certainly the hardest thing you will ever have to do. Because this goes right against nature. It's when you decide to let your enemy off the hook forever. It's when you decide to pray for that person who wanted to destroy you. It's when you pray for that one who betrayed you. And you see, when Jesus said to pray for them, we said, well, okay. And he doesn't mean that you should say, well, Heavenly Father, I just uh, ask you to deal with this person. And because you're hoping God will kill him. <laughs> that is not what Jesus meant when he said, bless your enemy, pray for them. He, you are actually to pray that God will bless them. You say, R.T., I can never do that. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. The thing is, I want to show today the way forward it's not easy, but the way forward, if you would like more of the blessing of God on your life. Now, this message is for those who want the blessing of the Lord on your life. If you're interested in that,
you're in the right place. If this doesn't matter that much to you, for the next 20 minutes, you'll be bored. But I can tell you, this is the way forward. And that is when you let your enemy off the hook, you bless them, you pray for them. Now, I'm sure that if I ask for a show of hands, how many of you have forgiven? Hands will go up. I believe you. I believe you. But if I were to show that you haven't forgiven totally, after all, I'll make a deal with you. Would you do it? And we'll have a time before the service is over. You can make that decision. You see, we've all got a story to tell. If I told you my story, I could win you over. But if I heard your story, chances are I would blush to think that I suffered at all. I have no doubt there are people here in this auditorium that you've suffered 10 times more than I have suffered. There's someone here, you were abused as a child. I wasn't, I can't imagine what that would be like. You were raped. Your spouse was unfaithful to you. Your best friend betrayed you. An authority figure let you down. I could go on and on and on. Let us suppose that there's someone here, there could be, you've suffered more than anybody else in Houston. Or let's narrow it down. There would be one person here, God would know who that is, you've suffered more than anybody else in this auditorium. No way to find it out, but suppose we did. We interviewed several hundred people and you're elected. We all agree, nobody's suffered like you have. How do you respond to that? You say, well, now you know what I've been through. You would say, probably, that if you've suffered more than anybody else in this place, that you would be the exception to the rule, that God would not expect you to forgive that. Others says we must, but in your case, you would be exempt. The truth is that if you have suffered more than anybody else, the angels have a special word for you. Are you ready for this? Congratulations. What? Mm, oh, yeah. Congratulations. Because that means you've been chosen for a greater blessing than anybody here. You see, if you've suffered more than anyone else, you've got a promise of blessing more than the one next to you or the one in front of you or behind you. And instead of letting it be your reason for bitterness and anger till you die because you're exempt, wrong. You've got a promise of blessing that will exceed anything you could imagine. And it is the lie of the devil that in your case, you don't have to forgive. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul gives another reason for forgiveness. He says, lest Satan get advantage of us. I want you to know something. I hope this will put the fear of God in you. Satan is looking for an entry point 
24 hours a day to get into your life. And the quickest way he does it is when you're bitter, when you're holding a grudge, because that's the kind of person the devil looks for. The question is, how do you know you have totally forgiven? And we get this from the text. It's all here in the life of Joseph. Proof number one, you do not tell anybody what they did. That's the secret. You've got to keep until you die. And no one will ever know. You say, well, surely I need to tell. You see, here's what we learn. Joseph now, knowing who these men are, he breaks down and says, everybody out of the room. Everybody out except these 11 men. Well, they don't know why. The aides, cabinet, translator, out. Everybody out. And now Joseph is there behind closed doors and the 11 men. And he begins to speak to them in Hebrew or whatever language they spoke and said, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But these men, when they perceive that it is their brother, they're scared to death. They're terrified. Why did Joseph make everybody leave the room? He's got a strategy. He's got a plan. He wants to bring those 11 brothers and their families to come and live in Egypt because there's going to be a famine for five more years. He knows it. And so he wants to protect them. And he wants to make sure nobody in Egypt would ever know what those brothers had done to him. Behind closed doors, he reveals his identity. He knows that if the word were to leak out what those men had done to him, every Egyptian to a man would hate those men. And the funny thing is, that's the way Joseph used to feel. You see, when we are hurt, we want everybody to hate them. That's why we want to tell it. As soon as we're hurt, we get on the phone. Here's what they did to me. You can't bear the thought that anybody would like them anymore. You don't want them to be admired. They may be somebody well-known. You want to bring them down. Here's what they did. God won't have it. What if, what if God told what he knew about you? What if your name was on this screen and all that he has on you, what he's forgiven you of? You'd say, well, I thought I was forgiven. Quite. Because no one will ever know. As far as the east is from the west, as we've already told by Jarrett a few minutes ago, so far are our transgressions removed from us because the blood of Jesus Christ has washed away all sins. No one will ever know. But when God knows that you turn around and you accuse somebody and you tell it, he says, whoa, you've broken a principle. When God forgives you and he knows what he's forgiven you of, the proof that you don't tell it, the proof that you've been forgiven, no one knows. Perhaps you know the old 
spiritual that came out of the Alabama cotton fields in the 19th century. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. And that's the way Jesus likes it. But he's the only one that knows. But when you turn around and tell the 10, 15, or 20, it means nothing, as much at least. The proof, you tell nobody. Two exceptions, number one, you can tell one other person for therapeutic reasons, somebody that will not tell. Second, we had a lady come in the vestry in Westminster Chapel, and she said, uh, they have found my rapist and they want me to testify in a court of law. I said, well, you must. She said, but I've forgiven him. You've taught me to forgive, and I've forgiven him. I said, well done, I believe you. But this is different. It's not personal now, you've forgiven him. Every crime should be reported. And so she told it. But what's the real reason we tell it? We can't bear the thought that anybody would like them, admire them. Proof number one, you tell nobody. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. You see, these, these men were terrified. They were terrified. And the first thing Joseph wants to do is to put them at ease. He says, come close to me. Come close to me. He just wanted to love on them. I couldn't believe it. They were scared to death. You see, when we have been betrayed by somebody, we want that person to be nervous. You know, husbands and wives have played this game. Keep the other nervous. When you're having a little fight, you make the other a little scared. You're not speaking for a day or two. By the way, any marriage on the rocks, any marriage in difficulty, right here, could be healed by sundown today if both of you will stop pointing the finger. You say, well, I will if he will. No. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. Why do we keep records? To prove that we've paid. Why would we keep a record of wrong? So we can throw it up. I will remember that. And sure enough, a day or two later, they tell it. I would urge you, tear up the records and don't wait for the other to get it right. This is your chance to be like the Lord. Proof number three, you don't remind them of what they've done and you forgive them. You see, Joseph said, don't be grieved with yourselves for selling me here. You set them free. Have you ever said to somebody, I forgive you, but I hope you feel bad about it. But you see, this is where Joseph said, don't even be angry with yourselves. You know what hurts most? When the person who's hurt us doesn't feel sorry, or this is even harder, what gets your goat is that they don't know that you're hurt. And so you just can't bear the thought that they don't know how hurt you are. Oh, by the way, when this sermon is over, don't go across the campus and go up to somebody and say, hey, in the light of R.T.'s sermon, I forgive you. 
For what? Well, you, you know. No, I don't. Well, you do. Well, I don't. Well, you should. Now you've got to fight. You see, you can't bear the thought that they don't know. I'm going to give you possibly the greatest challenge you'll hear for a long time. You ready? Would you like a major victory in the sight of Jesus? Would you like a major victory? Forgive them when they're not sorry. You see, it takes minimal grace to forgive them when they're sorry. I mean, the most hardened criminal in the world can forgive if you're sorry. What hurts is when they're not sorry, or what hurts even more. This is really bad, when they don't even know they've hurt you. You say, well, I want them to know I'm hurt. <laughs> you see, here's the victory. It's like the sermon preached recently. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. Here is your moment that you may never experience again. Forgive them when they don't even know what they've done. They don't even know that you're praying for them. You can't even tell them that. But this is the free ticket to a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's the way forward for greater blessing. The people that I had to forgive, strange as it may seem, they didn't think they'd done anything wrong at all. You could put them under a lie detector. They, they couldn't understand if I were upset. They hadn't done anything wrong. Nine out of ten people we have to forgive don't even think they've done anything wrong. Which goes to show you've probably hurt others and they don't know it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Proof number one, you don't tell what they did. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. Proof number three, you pray for them even though they're not sorry. You bless them. And number four, you let them save face. You know what that means? You let another person save face. That means you cover for them. You protect them. You, you make it look like what they did was okay. In Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he says, let the other man or the person save face. He says, you win a friend for life, for life if you let them save face. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what Joseph did. He actually says to them, look, it wasn't you who did this. It wasn't due. It's just what God did. Actually, listen to what he said. He said, there's been famine in the land. God sent me ahead of you. Really? Oh, yeah, it was predestined 400 years ago. God said to Abraham that his seed would be coming up out of Egypt. Well, that means we had to get here first, and somebody had to get here first. And God looked over the 12 of us and said, Joseph, you go first. He said, that's all it is. God had me come here first. And so he says to them, you talk about letting them save face. He says, you didn't do it. God did it. You didn't send me here. 
God did. These brothers, they can't believe their luck that the man they were going to kill is now saying God was behind it all. And God has a way of comforting us. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Proof number five, you protect them from their darkest secret. Well, what was the dark secret of these brothers? Well, they could be saying to themselves at this second, well and good that our brother's forgiven us, but he's going to make us go back to Canaan and tell Dad about the coat of many colors. They would rather die than have to tell their father what they did. Joseph won't let them. You may never have noticed it, but read the rest of the scripture. He won't let them tell Jacob what they did. He writes the script, tells them word for word what to say when they go back to Canaan. You see, that's the way God is. He lets us all save face. He protects us from our darkest secret. We've all got skeletons in the closet. And God is not one to yank out the skeleton, show the world. And that's the way Joseph was. Proof number six. Total forgiveness is a life secret. How do we know? Well, go back to chapter 50. Old Jacob has died. 17 years later, now the brothers panic. And as soon as Jacob dies, they say to themselves, you know, we think Joseph's been waiting for dad to die, and now he's going to go for us. To show that total forgiveness lasted, you see, total forgiveness is not something you can do today and forget about it tomorrow. Don't be like the man who says to his wife, I thought you forgave me. And she says, well, that was yesterday. <laughs> or vice versa, don't let that happen. You see, it turns out that 17 years later, it still held. He'd forgiven them. If you accept God's plan for you today, I want you to know it's a life sentence. You've got to do it tomorrow. You've got to do it a week from now. It's like your physician gives you a pill that you have to take the rest of your life. I've got one. I, have to I took it this morning. I've done it for 20 years. And so with total forgiveness, 10 years from now, you'll still be praying for them. And the people don't even know they're being prayed for. That's where the anointing kicks in. That's when God begins to use you, and you pray for them, and you bless them. And the interesting thing is, when the brothers come to Joseph after Jacob dies and says, Joseph, before Dad died, he told us to tell you, please forgive us. They made up a story. He didn't say that. But they, they think Joseph is now going to go for them. They can't believe it that he really had forgiven them. And he promised, he said, I will bless you. I will bless you. You see, that's the thing. You bless your enemy. You pray for them. And you pray for them and asking God to bless them. I close with 
something that happened at Westminster Chapel. In those days, we're like a traditional church. The pastor led the worship, and we were in the first hymn, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Great English hymn. But in comes a woman through the door and sits on the fourth row from the back. That woman has done irrevocable damage, emotional damage to one of our children. When I saw her, I thought, what is she doing here? I lost it. I couldn't sing. I just had to mouth the words. And then the scripture reading, traditional service, then another old hymn. I don't know how I got through it. Worst part was having the long eight to nine, ten minute prayer. How I got through it. I could only think of that woman out there. What gave me some relief. I sat down after the long prayer and the deacon comes and welcomes the visitors, makes the announcements and receives the morning offering and I've got five minutes to collect my thoughts. God help me. Something happened that I was not expecting. Never happened before. Hasn't happened since. But the Holy Spirit entered into a conversation with me. I don't say this is verbatim, but it's pretty close. It went something like this. So I'm sitting there and the Lord says, R.T., you want to see revival in Westminster Chapel, is that right? Yes, Lord. Good. How much do you want to see revival? Oh, a lot. Really? Which would you rather have, revival or for me to send judgment on that woman out there? Revival. Good. Pray for that woman. I pray for that woman. He said, that's not good enough. Ask me to bless her. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. And what if I take your word seriously and I bless her? You wouldn't do that, would you, Lord? <laughs> but that's the point. And I just, I couldn't have finished, I couldn't have preached that day. I was, he, it's like the Lord put a pistol to my head. I said, bless her, bless her, bless her. It was killing me. And I knew God was going to bless her. And guess what? He answered my prayer. God bless that woman. She thrives today in London as I speak. In heaven, whether I'll be able to resist going up to her and say, I know why God blessed you. I don't know that (laughs) I'll get to do that. I had to put her on my prayer list every day after that. You pray for your enemies. And I literally, I promise you, it wasn't easy. Bless her. Something happened in a very short period of time. 
that I wasn't expecting. I began to get more insight into the Bible than I'd ever had in my life. God has blessed me with publishers who queue up wanting books from me. It's hard to get a book published. I've, I've written a bunch of them. I got two more coming out this year and another one on the way. I can't write them fast enough. People say, oh, it's your education. No. It's your brain. No. It's the ungrieved spirit making me see things I've never seen before. He'll do it for you. You may not be an author, but you have a gift no one else has. And God is waiting for the moment to use that gift and exceed anything you ever dreamed. You see, well, there's no demand for my gift. <laughs> Imagine Joseph, before he became prime minister, say Joseph was in Houston, and tomorrow morning, Monday, he goes to an employment office, and uh, he wants a job. And so Joseph goes to an employment office. So you want a job, sir? Sure, I do. Uh, what's your name? Joseph. Good. Uh, what do you do? Dream. Right. Oh, I have prophetic dreams. Right. Your name again? We'll be in touch with you. Thank you very much. You see, who would have thought that Joseph's gift of dreams would lead to him being prime minister of Egypt? And God has a plan for you in as much detail as he had for Joseph. As St. Augustine put it, God loves every person as though there were no one else to live. I want you to know that every person here, God's got a plan for you. And as long as there's unforgiveness and bitterness, you see, Joseph could not have been used. It took 22 years before he got right and forgave his brothers. He'll do it for you. I'm finished, but I made a deal. I don't know whether you accepted the deal. The proposition was, if I were to show in these moments that you have not totally forgiven after all, would you then do it? It's decision time. I'm going to ask you to do something that may not be easy. But if you know that God has spoken to you and you need this word and are ready to forgive, I'm going to ask you in one minute, 60 seconds, not yet, in 55 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand up. You say, in front of all these people, yep. Oh, well, they'll know I've had a problem. Yes, they will. But is that more important to you than what God thinks? In 45 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand. Don't stand unless by standing you're prepared to say, I won't tell anybody what they did. You say, well, RT, I've already done it. Don't do it anymore. Don't stand unless you're prepared 
to say, I won't let them be afraid of me. I will pray for them, they'll never know. I pray for them. I will let them save face. I will protect them from their darkest secret. I will pray for them and I will bless them and I will keep it up. In 10 seconds from now, five, four, three, two, one. If you're ready to forgive, stand to your feet. Remain standing. Remain standing. I'll wait 15 seconds more. Don't miss this moment. There's a verse in Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. He's near right now. Take advantage of this moment. All right. Normally, when I preach this, I invite the people that stand to come forward, but it would be impractical, so you can stay where you are. But I, I want to say a couple things. Stay standing. What you've just done is the easy part. The hard part could be an hour from now. You say, oh dear, why did I stand? <laughs> or tomorrow morning at breakfast. I can't believe I did that. We haven't prayed yet. You can still get out of it. You can stand. You don't need to pray. I'm not going to look and see who's praying. It's none of my business. This is not between you and me. I may never see you again. This is between you and God. We're going to enter into a covenant. That makes it serious. Every covenant in the Bible was ratified by the shedding of blood. It was the way it was done in ancient times. We are in the same situation now because the blood was shed 2,000 years ago. And so we're under this covenant. God is watching. The angels are watching. And if you're ready now to enter into a covenant, I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Here goes. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my unforgiveness. Wash my sins away by your blood. I forgive them. You forgive them. I bless them. You bless them. I set them free. I set them free. I set them free. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your patience with me. As best as I know how, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. P.S., one P.S., and I'm finished. When you mess up, you will. Don't let the devil come in and say, well, you've broken it, so you don't have to do it now. Listen, when you mess up, you point the finger, you keep a record of wrong, 
say something you shouldn't, just say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Immediately confess it. 1 John 1, 9, as Jared quoted a while ago, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep this up. Don't let it dry. Don't let it go to nothing. From this moment, this could be for some here, the greatest moment since your conversion. And I promise you will never be the same again. Goodbye, I'm finished. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.